That's where I'm gonna put on my gravestone. Rambo's brother lies here. I really love just give your balls a tug. How many people could say that Sinatra and Don Rickles got him laid? I don't know if Don got me laid. Those women were 800 years old. I fought a good fight. I finished my football race. And after 18 years, it's time. Basketball players, we're really supposed to shut up and dribble, but I'm glad, I'm glad we do a little bit more than that. Eventually, every ball would go flat, but that doesn't mean that your life will flatline. What will you do when the game is over? Hello, and welcome to episode 25 of The Endless Hustle. I'm Bro Bible's Matt Cohan, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend and co-host, Arthur Cade. Arthur, how are you today? Good, Matt. Good to see you, hear you, and be with you. Historically, we've centered this show around some of the biggest names in sports, but look at us taking a deep dive into the entertainment biz. Arthur, we have two guests today, both of them in the entertainment industry, and both of them brought their own energies, their own stories, their own value. What do you say, Arthur? Yeah, Matt, two really interesting guests for sure. I mean, the first one we were kind of geeking over. So it was Frank Stallone, Sylvester Stallone's brother. And this guy, you know, I'm always such a fan of getting stories. And Frank Stallone really gave us the stories, right? Like talking about how the music in the Rocky movies, how he was able to make those and place those, how he replaced the Bee Gees in one of my favorite movies, the follow-up to Saturday Night Fever, Staying Alive what it was like growing up in Philly, my hometown. By the way, him and Sly grew up literally less than 10 minutes from where I grew up, and we used to kick their high school's ass in basketball. <laughs> and then our other guests were Letterkenny, which has become this super cult Canadian show on Hulu. And you and I were actually even surprised at how much fun we had with this cast. Yeah, I think people are going to really enjoy this one. Yeah, Frank is... It was really interesting to hear him because he's obviously successful. He admitted to us that he never has to work a day in his life because he's so rich. He's acted in 70-something movies or TV shows or what have you. But you can kind of tell he still has that Sylvester Stallone chip on his shoulder, being his brother, being always known as his brother. And that's why his documentary is kind of tongue-in-cheek. It's called Stallone, Frank, that is. And, you know, I have two brothers myself here. And, like, I'm always trying to keep up with the Joneses. So I always put unnecessary stress and pressure to kind of keep up with them successfully. And I just can't imagine what it would be like for Frank Stallone to wake up every day knowing that he's, like, one of the biggest – he's the brother of one of the biggest movie icons of this generation. So that has got to be a burden in a third. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest, Matt. Your brothers don't even hold a candle to you. We all know that. So, you know, <laughs> you, I can tell them that firsthand if you want. But, no, it's fascinating because Frank is a guy. With this documentary, you get to see it. He's actually had a very prolific career for himself. But like you said, when you're the brother of one of the biggest stars of all time, I don't care if you had an A-list career. When your brother is an A-plus lister, you're still somehow in his shadow. Mm -hmm. And Frank understands his place in history. He understands and is proud of what he was able to accomplish. But at the end of the day, the last name belongs to the brother versus him. And I think he's accepted that i think he's open to talk about it and i think you and i did a really great job in painting his successful career 
And I think you really enjoyed talking about that. So, yeah, I think people are going to really love this interview. You and I always love getting the stories out of people, and this was no exception, especially folks. Just be prepared when Frank talks about his relationship with Don Rickles and how Sinatra and Rickles impacted his life. You guys are going to be blown away. So without further ado, guys, here is Frank Stallone. Award-winning musician, actor, and the subject of the new documentary out January 19th, Stallone, Frank, that is, Mr. Frank Stallone. Hey, Frank, thanks for making the time. Greetings, guys. Yeah, congrats on the new documentary. Can you give us a little insight on it? I was uh, I was approached to do it. I w- it wasn't like my idea to do a documentary on myself. Uh, some young filmmakers, uh, Derek Wayne Johnson and Chris May, approached me. They I'd seen a movie they had done on John Avildsen called King of the Underdogs, which is a great movie. You know, John directed Rocky. You know? yep. So I met him at a bar one night, just talking. You know, had no aspirations of doing a documentary. And then out of the blue one day, he said, let's have lunch. I go, okay, sure. And then they laid it on me. He said, you know, we want to do a documentary. Right? We think your career is very interesting. Maybe not as successful, successful, but very interesting. I said, okay. And we took it from there. And I gave them all the names of everyone I knew that uh, they could approach to see if they wanted to be in the movie. That's like when a girl says to you, he's cute but he's not handsome. You know what I'm yeah. saying? There you go. Right. That's right. You have some uh, big names in the, you know, documentary Schwarzenegger, but one of, you know, one of my guys here and, you know, among many big names is Christopher McDonald. You know, he's featured oh, heaping praise on you. You know, obviously Christopher for many of the younger generation, maybe most known for his legendary role in Happy Gilmore as Mr. Shooter McGavin. Mm-hmm. What is your relationship with McDonald and does he have any shooter McGavin in him in real life? He's actually great. Like usually him and uh, Stephen Bauer and a few guys come to see me and we, we have quite a few drinks together. So it's, it's that kind of a relationship. He's Irish. I'm Italian. Steve's Cuban. So it makes a good mix for drinking partners. And uh, yeah, Chris is great. He's very funny. You know, he was also great in, uh, what was it? Was it talk show? Not talk show. The one where he played the uh, host game show. Mm. Yeah. He's a really good actor. Chris, good guy, man. So Frank, one of my favorite shows, and I don't know if you've ever watched it is entourage. It was this famous HBO show yeah, about, yeah, sure. Yeah, love Entourage. It's always fascinating to see what happens with friends and family when someone makes it big. And obviously, your brother ended up becoming one of the biggest action stars of all time in Hollywood. Yeah. yeah. Did you guys have a crew when it all started happening? Who was kind of the crew around you that might have been like the the turtle or the Johnny drama? Obviously, you might have been the Johnny drama character, but who were like the, the guys around that crew with Sly? Well, around here, well, see, the thing is, I was living in Trenton, New Jersey, and he was in California. So I, I don't really know who his crew was at that point. Uh, probably John Hersfeld, uh, you know, the director that did Two Days in the Valley. They've been friends since college. So probably mostly John. Uh, my, my crew was like my band, you know, the, the group that sang in uh, Rocky One. So that was, we were, listen, everyone was shocked. I mean, you know, everyone was like, I mean, it's unbelievable. All of a sudden, this little movie's nominated for 10 Academy Awards. It's pretty crazy. When that happens, 
Is it like, holy shit, we're all going to the top? Like, what's that reaction? Because Sly's well, story is so famous about it. Yeah, I didn't know if I was going to the top. I know he was going to the top. Uh, I guess, you know, all of a sudden it was, uh, now we're playing Mike Douglas show. Now we're on the Dinah Shore show. Now we're on Midnight Special. All these things coming at this local band that we were really good band. I mean, we were, you know, we wrote our own material. We were, you know, we were, you know, courting record deals and stuff. And uh, to, to that happen that fast for like local guys, we had no chops as far as like the big time. We were just local yokels, you know? And uh, so when that thing, when that, that merry-go-round stopped and Rocky ended, so did we. I mean, before we were the darlings of that, and then all of a sudden, bang, lost the record deal, couldn't get work, the group broke up, and I was playing at a place near the Quaker Bridge Mall for $30 a night called the Ground Round. And mm. so I went from Midnight Special to the Ground Round and the Bristol Motor Court. Seriously, just playing my acoustic guitar for maybe 30 bucks a night. The Ground so Round is a chain, I believe, right? Yes, right. Yeah, I've, I've been there. Decent yeah. burgers. Not bad, yeah. But not the great career move, you know. The <laughs> careers are not made at the ground round. Hamburgers are. You know? hey, you're, you're, not, you're not getting discovered by Clive Davis at the ground oh, no, round. No, 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 you're not going to see those. But, I mean, that's, that, that's the whole thing about it. I mean, you know, when I love mentoring young guys. I love doing – I wish I could do – on the talk show circuit. I mean, like my brother does things, you know, motivational speaking, because I get asked that all the time. What, you know, my kid wants to be a rock star. I said, well, that way he started off on the wrong foot right there. No, <laughs> you want to be a rock star. Do you want to be a movie star? Or do you want to be an actor that maybe could turn into a movie star or do you want to learn how to play guitar then turn into a rock star? And uh, I, it's a very humbling thing. You know, it's a, it's a lot of work. Most of it will be disappointment. I mean, most, uh, most actors, I say 95% will be rejection. So just remember that 5% will be accepted. I mean, it's a small margin, you know, so you have to have somewhat of a thick skin and a belief in yourself or not. You're done. I know you've been very critical of music today and the vast difference between being good and being popular. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah. Are there any pop artists today who you respect for their musical abilities? Uh, you know, Billy Joel said something who I think is a wonderful artist. I mean, if you ever seen him live, he's great. His songs are great. Yeah. He seen was getting, MSG. Yeah. And he was getting all these accolades, how great he goes. He goes, it's not that I'm not so great. It's that the bar is so low. So, you know, which was kind of, I mean, look, man, you know, it's whatever hip hop. It's just not my thing. I mean, I come from a different world. I come from where you had to play, write lyrics, lyric content. Uh, there was no such thing as sampling. So we had to really create it. And they, they created too in their own way. But I just can't get behind it. It's just like, too, first of all, it's too many lyrics. I thought Sergeant Pepper was confusing. I mean, this thing is like, you know, it's like, and I don't know if they know what they're saying. I don't know. I mean, can you say 5,000 words in a song and know what everything means? Or can you listen to Bob Dylan? So, I mean, I came up in a different era. I came up with the Bob Dylan, Harry Nilsson, the Beatles, the Stones, Randy Newman, Joni Mitchell. So I came up in a different thing. So I don't want to sound like, you know, 
parents when I was in rock and roll. I had group, God, you're a bunch of sissies. You know, I don't want to be that thirst type person. It's just I'm not into it. And I'm not into reggae. People go, you're not into ska? I go, no, I'm not. I don't get it. I mean, I don't. It's like one chord. So, you know, I mean. Not a Marley guy, Frank? No, I respect him. I think, I mean, listen, people look at him like the second coming of Christ. I mean, I respect what he did. And unfortunately, uh, he died very young. But I just, I, I'm just not into it. I mean, I'm just like, boom, ching, 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 Just, uh, you know, I rather listen to Sinatra at the garden, you know. You got to have music on one of my all-time favorite movies. And I can't believe I'm admitting this, but I love Staying Alive. I love Saturday Night Fever. I love Staying Alive. Why? Why? I thought Staying Alive was good. You didn't think it was good? I fucking love it, Frank. But I've heard people, you know, the problem is it's when you follow something like Saturday Night Fever, which became. Oh, it's a great movie. Come on, it's, yeah. it's, you know, one of the most iconic 70s Absolutely. movies. and. And then Absolutely. Staying Alive was a little more commercial. And obviously your brother took more of the Rocky, like the montages and the training, which I fucking yeah. love. Like I have two of your songs on my um, on my iPhone from yeah. it. Get Too Close to the Fire. And um, what's the other one? That was Look at John's body. He got ripped. I would, so that's where I was going with that. What, first of all, was John like at that time? And how the hell did he get in that kind of shape? Well, because he, if, you have to understand, this is right after Rocky three and you saw rip sly was. So he had the formula down and he got John a trainer and diet. Cause John was really out of shape, way overweight, way overweight, out of shape. And I got to give it to him. You know, this was a big comeback for John. His career was not doing well at that point. And he really worked hard at it. And uh, he got himself in great shape. And what was John like? John was very nice, very professional, very nice. Very, very Listen, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have gotten my music in the movie. I mean, my brother presented it to him, but if John didn't like it, it wouldn't have gotten in. So I want people to know out there, no matter who your brother is, no matter you know, Hollywood is not that generous. I don't care if your father is the head of MGM. If, if they don't like it, it's not going in the movie, especially a movie like the sequel to Saturday Night Fever. You know, I mean, you know. And uh, so I was very blessed. I mean, I worked really, really hard, man, because I was I was Tony Monero. My career was over. I mean, so it's that's why when I when I wrote Far From Over, it's almost like an homage to my own life. You know what I'm saying? It's like because my career was ba- I was 32 years old. I started at 15. You know, I started playing clubs in Philadelphia at 15 underage in bars. By the way, just so you know, I'm not lying. Look at that. You know, but the thing is with both movies, both posters sucked. I, I thought both, I don't like either poster of either movie. I thought the movies, you know, were, were, I don't know. I think they should have had better posters, you know. Did you have any inkling growing up that Sly would become Sly? Like he was obviously a driven dude and the whole fable around how he got Rocky made and him starring in it is. No, iconic. no, I, no, I'm not, not in the faintest. Um, he was not into that. He was like into playing sports, chasing girls, getting in fights, getting in mischief. So he wasn't like, you know, I am studying Stanislavski. He wasn't that guy. I was the musician. I was the guy who was going to go in show business. I was in show business. And he didn't start thinking about acting until probably college. In the beginning, he was horrible. I, I remember walking around. 
Florence Colson. Come on, man. But he was a great writer. And, but he was a great, as a person, though, he was a big personality as a person. Anyway, you know what I'm saying? He was that type of guy. He was a big you know, personality. So when he harnessed all that together, I could see how it worked. But in the beginning, it was no. It was like I used to say, you know, when I make it, my, my records become big. I'm going to finance my brother's movies because I thought his scripts were great. I mean, I mean, everything he has is self-taught. I mean, we didn't go to, let's, you know, I went to HN Educational Center, Lincoln. I mean, I didn't go to, you know, you know, Mass Bomb or, you know, those great schools. And, the, you know, what was what was the big school in Philly for? Central. Central. I couldn't even get in the playground at Central. I mean, so <laughs> I, I didn't graduate. That's why I had to go back at 23 years old for summer school at HN Educational Center, which I couldn't stand. I loved Lincoln. I didn't like H. I was going to go to Father Judge, but I'm happy I went to Lincoln. By the way. We used to kick all their asses when I played at Northeast. We used to beat the shit out of Father Judge too. You did your school? Yeah, we played Judge? ball. We played in yeah, we played in multiple tournaments with them. They were Catholic football? league. Football? You beat them in football? No, I was a basketball player. I'm six. Look how skinny I am. There's no football in this body. Oh, okay. Yeah, because football, they were pretty good. Judge and like yeah, yeah, I they were good. Know. I was yeah. I I tried to play sports. That, that I mean, I, boxing I did. But as far as like football and the other stuff, I just didn't didn't have the chops. Frank, you and your brother obviously got into creative fields with some overlap, but yeah. you guys aren't kind of the typical introspective creators with sweaters and turtle shell glasses. You guys kind no. of both exude this like tough guy almost persona. What about your childhood in New York and Philly opened up these doors for the Hollywood dreams? I, I, I believe Phil, I'm from Maryland originally. My mother... Uh, got divorced and moved to Philadelphia. I think Philadelphia is where I got my musical roots for sure, without a doubt. I mean, because I, I went there like eight and I left it like 18. So, but I mean, the formative years of my music and playing the Electric Factory and the Second Fret and all those great famous clubs in Philadelphia, that's where I got my stuff. Sly kind of got his more like when he went off to college that, that that's when he got into more the the uh the acting bug but uh philadelphia was a great city it's not it's pretty scary now but at one time it was a really it's not the city of brotherly love anymore unfortunately but it was a great 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 city man it was a lot of fun i had a lot of fun in philadelphia there is a great documentary on hbo right now about the bgs and I've it's, heard it's unbelievable it's incredible, first of all, to see how well-rounded their career was. But obviously, we know them, and what they're most famous for is the disco sound and Saturday Night Fever, and then you replace them in Staying Alive. But the thing that I found really fascinating is when disco started dying and it became super commercial, they were, like, getting death threats at that time, and they had to essentially almost, like, exile themselves from the music business. What was it like, because you were part of that era, what was it actually like when disco was dying and the whole new sound was coming in well i was never into disco and the thing is with the bgs they weren't disco songs but they were put into a disco environment you know what i mean if you look at night fever night it's not a disco song disco would be like you know like those horrible like <laughs> stuff they were great songs but they put them dance to it you know what i'm saying and they hated the idea because they were not disco if you listen to their early stuff New York Mining Disaster, Words and stuff. They're a great band. Now, from what I heard, they didn't really want to do Staying Alive. 
they about had it. They didn't want to do staying alive because uh, they were real serious and they were great, man. They were one of my favorite groups. I just happened to get in because I had submitted all my songs already and they rejected everyone. Everyone that's in the movie was rejected. Okay. So when they left, so when they kind of left, uh, they, you know, they were kind of holding the bag at the, at the production for staying alive. So my brother called me up and he's like kind of funny because I can tell by the intro of the call where it's going. It was like, hey, Frank, that's something I did wrong or something like that. It was like, hey, brother, slack. I go, okay, you want something? He goes, remember those songs you wrote? I go, of course I remember. No, I forgot them. No, you mean the songs you rejected, humiliated? Yeah, no. He goes, yeah, we got a big problem over here, you know, BGs. No, so, so I said, okay, so the BGs left. Uh, so what? He goes, listen, make bring your cassette of all those songs. We're gonna go over to John's house and have lunch. I said, and he goes, yeah, but don't tell him it's you. I play it. I said, all right. So we go there, and we're having lunch. John's here. I'm here. And Sly's there. There's like a boom box there and we're eating and these two are like talking and I'm in the middle to commiserate. It's, it's like Barbarino talking to Rocky. I don't know what you did the movie. I swear to God, absolutely. You got to problem. You know? <laughs> you know, so this is going back and forth. I'm like cracking up, you know, so, so, so I goes, yeah, I want to play this. <laughs> of course he takes credit. I want to play this music I found. <laughs> I go, okay. So he puts the cassette in. And John is sitting there, kind of eating, listening. And I'm sitting there, whoa, shit. And then he hears all the song, Far From Over, Moody Girl, Never Gonna Give You Up, uh, Hope We Never Change, all the plain noise. And he's really getting into it. He goes, I love it. I love the music. Who is it? It's, like, it's almost like a Fredo moment in Godfather too. Uh, it's Frankie. He goes, Frankie? It's like, like, I'm like, you know, <laughs> you know, like I'm cannon fodder. You know what I'm saying? I go, yeah, I can do stuff like that. You know? And then all of a sudden, it, because of John, I mean, if John didn't really like the music, it wouldn't have gotten in the film. No way. And he liked, even if Sly liked it, because Sly did like songs and John didn't. I think what John related to in my music was what the character, Tony Monero, the desperation to be something. And that's what I had. I mean, I wrote it. I wrote all those songs. They were, it, and they were all, bang, it was just a, a stream of consciousness. And they got in and then they said, you know, we're putting uh, Far From Over, going to open the movie. I go, excuse me? Remember, I'm broke. I'm done. I'm 32. I have no career. I'm just playing local clubs, a step up from the ground round in California. And, uh, and then magic happened, man. I'm very, very blessed and very, very thankful. I mean, it, that, that changed my life. With your group, uh, Valentine, you were playing clubs with Springsteen, Richie Sambora, Hall & Oates. Is there a specific musician that you've witnessed up close whose kind of talent rose above the rest? Oh, well, you know, they all were. I mean, look where they all went. I mean, I, I no, I did a gig with Springsteen in a place called Kenny's Castaways at 85th and 3rd. And I was just a solo actor, 71 or 72. And on the chalkboard out front, it said, tonight, Bruce Springsteen and me. And I was there. So I walked in. I saw this guy with a hat on singing. Who's this guy? So then all of a sudden, I went in the dressing room. I heard this music. I thought it was Van Morrison's new album. I came out. It was the East Street Band. I go, oh, Christ, I got to open for this now. Uh, 
And John Oates and I were in a band together, Valentine's second group. And we knew him very well, loved John. And I knew Daryl because we had him come to our rehearsal because we needed a piano player. And of course it didn't work out, but no, they, and Richie Sambora, listen, I've known Richie since like 18. And he was very talented. I mean, he's actually more talented than John Bajobi. He's like a better singer and everything like that. Richie's great, man. Richie is a real talent. He really is. And they all are. I mean, look where they've gone. They've all sold over a hundred some million, million albums. That's not a mistake, you know, so. And all good guys, all good friends. And John's a good friend, but you know. One of my favorite shows is Chappelle's show. I don't know if you've ever watched it. Dave Chappelle was a famous comedian. He had the sketch show. And one of the most famous sketches was Charlie Murphy, Eddie Murphy's brother, would do like Charlie Murphy's Hollywood stories. And they would take these famous stories that Charlie got to see alongside Eddie. Yeah. And they would, of course, like, you know, enlarge it and fantasize it. It was things about Prince, you name it. Oh, I think I saw a few of those. They're very funny. Very funny. Having gotten to probably witness some crazy cool stuff, is there a story for you, like a Charlie Murphy-like story, where you're like, I can't believe that I'm getting to witness and be around the people I'm around right now and see what I'm seeing? For me, it would have been when I went to the Academy Awards with my brother for Rocky. That's huge. Remember, again, I lived in the ghetto of Trenton, an $80 a month apartment. To be in California where my brother's film was nominated for 10 Academy Awards. I mean, that's, that's, that was big. I mean, and sitting around like this, looking at, you know, there's William Holden, there's this, there's Ann Margaret, there's Loretta Young. It was, that was pretty bad. That's when the Academy Award really had some panache. You know I mean? Not like it is now, like no one even watches it anymore. But then, you know, people were dressed to the nines. It was, it was, it was great. That, that was pretty special. And especially, my brother being nominated made it even more special. Where does the nickname Sly come from? It's short for Sylvester. It's just a nickname like Sly Stone, Family Stone, Sylvester Stewart. It's just a nickname. Now, my grandfather was the original Sylvester. So that he was a barber. Everyone in my family is barber or hairdresser, except my brother and I. So my grandfather had his own shop, Sylvester's Barber Shop. And he came over from the old country, as did my father. And uh, yeah, that's where Sly comes from. He's changed his name so many times because Sylvester was not really a cool name to have in the 50s. So he changed it to Mike. And some <laughs> people come up and go, hey, man, how's Mike doing? I go, Mike who? I've been called Mike in 45 years. <laughs> Philly, guys, Kensington. Hey, yeah, how's Mike doing? You know, that Philadelphia accent. Now, here's the trivia question. Where is Rocky from? You mean what part of Philadelphia? Yeah. Kensington. Kensington. Most people say South Philly. That's wrong. Wow. You're right. Because, because he runs through South Philly. There he goes. And he's Italian. But he's from K&A. That's where he's from. Where was it shot? Was it in South K &A. Philly? Oh, it was, it was Kensington. Yeah. Kensington. Uh, it was Kensington and Somerset. God, that neighbor. I used to walk down there as a kid. You wouldn't even, you wouldn't go down that street in an armored truck. It is urban blight. Oh, my God. Those days, it was mostly Irish, German, Polish, because right near the Port Richmond and Fishtown. Hey, you guys, what's going on down here? You know, it was like really tough neighborhood. Now it's just like, oh, God. It's so, it's the, they call it the Badlands. People in the daytime walking around just brain dead from heroin. It's, it's really sad.
It's a great place. How true is the Rocky story? Like, obviously, you're, I've heard your brother tell it. You've heard the different fables. Yeah. Like, he sold his dog. He bought the dog back. Yeah. How true is that? Has it been over-glamorized at this point? Well, I mean, no. I mean, no. I think a lot of it's true. You know, I mean, he didn't have any money. No one had any money. And he got offered this thing. He said, well, this is my shot. And he took it. It's like my thing. Like, this is my shot. I mean, this is kind of my shot. This movie, I'm 70 years old, man. So, I mean, I've been around a long time and this is the first time I've been able to ever tell my story. Everyone's told my life story, but me, that's, this will be the first time. That's why when people see the movie go, Oh, I didn't know you did that. You did that. You did that. You did that. Did that. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I mean, this is very trippy for me and it was trippy for my brother and his thing too. You know, it's just, it's just, I don't know. I mean, both of us have had really weird, weird lives to say the least you know it wasn't because we didn't come up in Juilliard we didn't go to school for special kids and smart we we can't with nothing you you mentioned in the doc how insulting it was to be called Rocky's brother which is pretty much the laziest moniker ever Mm. being attached to Sly I'm sure has more positive than negative but when you become like a respected musician on your own merits did being his brother ever become a hindrance well, mostly always, because, you know, the first 27 years of my life, you know, I was known around town as a singer and musician and stuff. And then all of a sudden it just changed. I wasn't Frank anymore. I was Rocky's brother. Hey, you know, Frank Stone? Yeah, Rocky's brother. It wasn't that way before. So, no, I was never ashamed of being his brother. I love my brother. I mean, it was, it was never that. But it just got tired after a while. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean you're being called a fictitious person's brother. So it's not like, Hey, are you a Sly's brother? I go, yeah, yeah we're brothers. Or are you Rambo's brother? I go, there is no Rambo. They'd be like coming up to Boris Karloff's daughter. Go, Hey man, are you Frankenstein's daughter? Really? Okay. So, I mean, are you the monster's daughter? No, but I mean, so yeah, I mean, I'm pretty thick skinned and uh, look at most people. I will guarantee you most people would have quit this business 30 years ago, if they had to go through what I went through, because it's just a constant hammering, no matter what. I mean, when I got shot, I got really shot. Know what the newspaper? Rambo's brother shot, and he's mad. And there's a picture of Sly with a headband as Rambo. My name's Harley. Real victim. Yeah, yeah, I had 70 stitches. And it's like, you know, and it's like, it's not even like, and I'd just been nominated two years for Grammy, not Grammy nominated singer Frank Stallone shot Rambo's brother shot but like real real like grandiose with the headband with the M60 with that look I said god I said I can't I just can't win (laughs) just it's like I mean if I died got shot if I if I crashed in a plane Rambo's brother goes down in flames I mean it's just like you know it never ends that's what I'm gonna put on my gravestone Rambo's brother lies here. I'm not going to put my name on A piece of Rambo died today. A piece of Rambo died today. <laughs> How much fun was it beating the shit out of Geraldo? It's always fun we can beat the shit out of someone. But I mean, Geraldo and I were friends. Listen, I didn't want to fight. I just got suckered into it because of Howard Stern and why I was on the show. I hadn't been in the ring in 12 years. You know, I was smoking. I was, you know, I was, I was never fat. But I mean, I wasn't like in boxing shape. And I only had a few weeks to get in shape. 
But of course, when you get in the ring, you, you have to kick ass because he was coming to kick my ass, Geraldo, you know. But we became friends. At, you know, he's in my documentary. We became friends after that. But people go, what was it like? I said, well, the pressure was like, do I get beat by a news reporter being a Stallone? My brother was like, all oh, bent out of shape. Make us look bad. You got to go out there. I said, well, you know, I'm doing the fighting, not you. He goes, and then all of a sudden these mob guys come up to me in New York because I think Geraldo has just done an expose on organized crime. And I'm sitting there in Gleason. It's like, bang, bang, bang. He goes, hey, how you doing? Hey, you got to knock this fucking guy out, you know? I said, I got 20 grand. I go, whoa, 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 wait a second, man. This is, this is like a, for charity. It's not what, I mean, so if I lose, I get whacked out. I mean, you, know, you bet money on the fight for it. It's like, so it was like, it was like, a, it was like the harder they fall. It's like, yeah, I got 20 G's that you knocked this guy out. I mean, all these guys, I swear to God, it was like the movie. Hard, these guys with sunglasses, like bad, like wife beaters with too much gold. Yeah, I got a lot of money on you. Beat that red bastard. I said, no, wait a second, man. And I came in the ring. I had busted ribs. They shot me up so much Novocaine. I don't know if any of you ever hurt your ribs. It takes years to heal. And I figured if I move that way, bop, he taps me somewhere. So that's why I was fighting a different style. And also, I sp my deal was to wear 10-ounce gloves and no headgear because I could punch pretty good. I figured if I catch him, that'd be in. They made me wear 16-ounce giant gloves with headgear. It was just a mess. It was a mess. But Geraldo and I become friends. You know, I got to respect the guy. I mean, he showed up, came to fight. He has a lot of, he has a lot of balls. He does. He's a good guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I got to make an admission here. My friends still give me shit for this. I cried in theaters at the end of Fred Claus. I just thought it was the most sentimental, heartwarming film. I think it's one of the more underrated Christmas movies. In it's the most underrated Christmas movie ever. I, think. I need it's incredible. And you and Siblings Anonymous was awesome. Uh, you know, I don't have a question for this one. I think it's just appropriate to give Fred. You know, Claus. it's really weird. To Vince Vaughn, we went in and, and we sat. And he said, let's sit and work this out a little bit. And he has really good comedic sense so we went and worked this whole thing out and the scene went a little longer it's actually funnier like when Stephen Baldwin looks and goes what are you making fun of us some no I'm really uh, you know because this is serious there was a lot more in it it was really funny and it's actually become one of the favorite scenes of the movie but I thought Paul Giamatti was great I thought Vince was great and I don't know why it got slammed it's a really feel-good movie Incredible. It's an, I, I don't, and I, I've literally have gone to the grave with it. This has like become my personality trait. No, like I, I fight for Fred Claus. I do too. You chiming in, like, I think my brother's Santa Claus too sometimes at the sibling. It's great. It's great. Hits on all yeah, cylinders. I know, I know. But I, I think the Siblings Anonymous thing was, I think they made a big mistake because it was longer. It was really funny. It went on a little more because you had Bill Clinton's brother there, Roger, yeah. who was all yacked out at the time. So, but the thing was, it was, it, it was just the whole thing, like like the guy that was the psychiatrist, he was really funny. I wish they would have had more in him because he was so nerdy. Like, I hear you, man. You know, he's a guy like wearing Birkenstocks and eating sprouts, you know, one of those type guys. <laughs> but I, I agree with you. I think it was a totally underrated movie. And I think anyone next Christmas uh, should see it. It's really a good movie. It's well done, well produced, well directed. Thank you very much for that. Uh, thank you. I don't know if you know who Bill Simmons is, but he's one of the most famous sports moguls now in America. He has this whole platform called The Ringer. 
he's become this just enormous, enormous media mogul. He has this podcast called The Rewatchables, where him and people in his staff or guest celebrities will rewatch, talk about what they call the most rewatchable movies. And they uh-huh. just recently did Rocky IV. Uh-huh. And they actually talked about how I, and I think it was Rocky Four. your music is not in Rocky Four, I believe, correct? No. no. And they talked about, they were theorizing on there they were, that there was a couple years where you and Sly had had a falling out because your music wasn't in certain movies that he was in. Yes. I'm dying to know, is their theory correct? Yes, absolutely. Because uh, I thought after staying alive, everything I'd be writing with all the great writers and stuff like that. So when Rocky Four came out, they hired my piano player, who I found at the Red Onion Bar, Vince DeCola, to do the music for, for Rocky Four. I go, so I'm not, I'm not involved in this. In other words, I, I did the music in Staying Alive, so I'm not involved in this. And I got really, really PO'd. I mean, I wasn't even considered. I go, wow. This is a guy found playing piano with the Red Onion, which was a bar. And, we, you know, he's a very talented guy, nonetheless, but I'm the one that found him. And so, and so I was a little bugged on that because I think, you know, I think I deserved that. That would have really been a boost up for me, you know. But everyone else got a shot but me. So, and I haven't talked to the piano player in 35 years. He might be back at the Red Onion. God bless him. There's no more Red Onion, so he might be back somewhere. But I was always a very loyal person like that, and I just, that really, that really bugged me. Yeah, we had, we had some times when we didn't talk. You know, it's... Uh, it's kind of stupid now when you think about it later, but you know, yeah, that's true. Yeah. There's no, and in Rocky five, this group took take you back this rap group and talking to me on the phone, like it's their song. Like, you know, we're going to do with a song. I said, no, wait, 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 wait. no, it's my song that you're plagiarizing. It's not your song. Yeah. That's, you know, it's really weird to do that until sting stopped that real quick. When we would, it was Tupac. One of those guys wanted to use every breath you made. He goes, no, 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 no my song baby and you want to pay and they did because you know people kind of like to plagiarize you know oh we'll sample i said you're not sampling anything i worked hard on that song so that's what's going on in the business and i thank god some people have stepped up like we all got screwed on our publishing which is worth i'd never have to work again i mean these guys sent their kids to college on our publishing but now they're doing there there's a movement to get your publishing back because that's it. you don't think it's really unfair to take 100% of your publishing? That'd be like if you went into business with someone, i go, here's the cut. I'm getting 100%. I go, well, what am I doing? You know what I mean? So that's changing. And that's a serious subject, man, because a lot of, a lot of great songwriters and people got screwed over the years with that. What do you think Matt did to me in our negotiations? He's got 100% of this show on me. I'm barely, I'm barely here right now. So you're just there. Yeah. I buy him lunch once a week, though, so it's you're easy. like you're you're like Max Bialystock and the producers. Hey, I'm right, wearing right, a cardboard right. belt. Yeah, <laughs> I know, I know. It's a, uh, it's a. Where are you guys out of though right now? I'm New York. This dude is in Boston. Oh, okay. Wicked Pissa. Wicked okay. Pissa. Yeah, buddy. By is the way, the, the sly the sly impression. How I mean, you're so spot on with it. When did it develop, and what's the secret to it? It's, you know, being a singer, you, your, your ears are attuned to it.
But that one guy in Philly that, that impersonates my brothers, unbelievable. Mike Kunda, unbelievable. He is, he is more my brother than my brother. I mean, he looks like him. He sounds like him. He moves like him. I go, this is creepy, man. <laughs> and, but yeah, but he's really good. He has a movie out called The Pretender. You should huh. see it. It's about his life as Rocky. He goes, I have no life. I am. <laughs> I'm Rocky. It's a great movie. It's really very good. Frank, I want to get your take on the whole uh, Norm McDonald Saturday Night Live ongoing yeah. bits where he would just randomly insert your name in punchlines. How did you receive it then? How do you view it now? And have you had? I never any- got it. I never got it. I thought it was okay. I said, you know, if you're going to make fun of me, let me come on the show. So, you know, that picture of me behind him. Yeah. I wanted to come through it and strangle. I thought that would have been a great, funny thing. You know, like the picture comes alive. Come out, like, that would have been great. Rear naked chokehold or something. I mean, I think it was okay. I mean, you know, I, I, you know, a lot of people think it's funnier than I do. I, I never quite got it. I think Norm's funny. But it's, it's in a way it was, again, it was kind of, a, kind of a sideway insult. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like, it was like Fredo, you know, it's like, Hey, and yeah, Frank Stallone. I go, okay. Some people go, Oh, you should market that. I go, why market? Like I'm an idiot or something. No. What do you think? I mean, uh, I, I, I love Norm McDonald and yeah. I mean, that's a little before my time, but uh, I thought it was pretty funny. But like it it's funny after a while, got tired. Yeah. I mean, I, I only seen like the clips. I didn't see like the kind of the ongoing thing. Oh. But have you talked to Norm at all about it? Or I know yeah, he wrote a book and he mentioned it in his like in. Never met him. Oh, wow. Not, never, never met him. I think he's real funny. He's a funny guy. I mean, he's real talented. I just was said, if you're going to make fun of me, let at least me get something out of it. Come on the show. That would have been great to have you just kind of come in and and give him the old chokehold. I'm surprised. Just come right behind him. <laughs> Lift him up. Well, he's a Canadian. That would have been easy. <laughs> <laughs> I know that you've worked out with Schwarzenegger, and obviously there's oh. always the, the, the debate of who's the biggest action star of all time, your brother or Arnold. There's, there's no doubt. Well, I, that was one question. I, I'm happy you answered that because I agree <laughs> with you. I, I say Sly over Arnold as well. Well, he created that genre, yeah. Was there, there's like these famous stories that the two of them had these crazy rivalries throughout the 80s when they were both at the top. Was that all true? Yes. Yeah, they didn't like each other at one point. There was a, there was a, yeah, there was a point. There was a point where they were good friends. Like if you look at uh, back in 1977 when Sly won the Golden Globe, he, Arnold was sitting next to him at the table. Arnold wasn't really that well known then at all. He hadn't become a star until way later in the 80s. And uh, they were good friends. And I think when, the, you know, because Sly was the first guy with the headband, the cutoff, the bandoliers and the action stuff. And Arnold kind of took that, you know, when he did uh, his movies. But, you know, look, Arnold and I have the same birthday and we're friends and, you know, I love him. And, uh, you know, he's gone through some health issues. He's a good he's a good guy. But they did go through a point when they, yeah, they didn't like each other at all. Now they're very good friends, but there was a period. But that's what happens when you're young and you're full of testosterone and you're, you have no sense of mortality. You just break each other's balls. That's how it goes. What was it like being in the middle of that? I mean, your slides. I was not in the middle of it. <laughs> I stayed way far away from that. 
Yeah, you know, they want to, you know, movie. Look, I'm the one with the headband, you know? Yeah, you know, they get, I said, like, who cares? Like, I'm starving. You guys live in like $12 million homes. Like, I, like I'm sympathetic. Not really. So, yeah, I'm never sympathetic to rich people that much for some reason. It's like Mickey said, Barfly. She goes, well, rich people feel pain. He goes, no one suffers like the poor, baby. It's true. One other person I want to ask you about. I got to interview him once, and I fucking peed my pants. Oh. Don Rickles. What was he? Like? What was he like off camera? Great. He was. He was always break my balls, no matter what. But he was a very nice guy. You know, he was a very. Uh, he was a good guy. He had a lot of heart. He was a good guy. But he'd come up and he goes, "All right, Frank. All right, you said hello. Get out of here." He was just like that. So he did one thing I'll never forget. I was playing. Uh, a gig with him and my brother and Jennifer came there. Sly's career was in the, kind of in the toilet. This is before Rocky Balboa and the big comeback uh, expendable. So his career wasn't doing well. <laughs> I'll never forget it. So I'm there. I'm there. I said, Don, here's Sly. He goes, hey, Sly, how are you doing? He puts his arm around. He goes, it's over, kid. Don't worry. <laughs> I mean, that's what he would do. So he was very funny. I mean, I opened for him many, many, many times. Yeah. And I'd be on stage singing. I do my 30 minutes. You know, I'm the opening act. And he would be just old school, man, right on a chair, right on his tux, right? I could see him. And he look at me. I go, but there you go. And then I knew I get the signal, time to wrap it. And then he would come on. Now he was great, man. Listen, the guy worked hard he didn't need to do it i mean he had money he, did, he didn't need to work but he liked it you know what was sly's reaction when because listen when you're at the top right, you're laughing you know wake into the stan rickles <laughs> i mean you know i mean we go hey, screw you don no it's like you know sly it's over kid you know i mean it's just you know that's Don rickles he did it to frank sinatra well look at the dean martin roast he did it to frank i mean he does everybody did you get Sinatra stories from him? No, I didn't ask him about Frank, but I, you know, I've met Frank many times. You know, I mean, he, he introduced me at the Hollywood Bowl. That was really weird. I had the same manager for a short time, Elliot Weissman, great manager of Frank. And so I'm there and I'm just, I'm on a date. It's just not happening, man. It's just one of those things. You go, Why did I bring this girl here? And I'm under the stars. It's the Hollywood Bowl. It's beautiful. It's Frank Sinatra. Can't get, you know, I mean, if you can't get it on with that, you should kill yourself. So I'm sitting there going like this. And they're like, man, I could have brought this other chick with me. Great. So anyway, at the end, you know, Rickles used to come out with two glasses of Jack Daniels uh, for the final. And Frank laughs, salute. And so he goes, by the way, is Frankie Stallone out there? I said, and I'm up really close. I'm there. Oh, my God. I go, yeah, Sam, he goes, Hey, I heard your new album with Billy May. It knocked my socks off, kid. Salute. I went, oh, my God. Swing. <laughs> now, the girl next to me, all of a sudden, I, now I'm the best thing. So she's on me like a cheap suit. I said, you know what? How about you bum me out? Take a cab. You're out of here. And all these other girls come around. Oh, Frank, I didn't know you. So it was a good night. Oh, yeah, that is the I mean, got how rid many, of the driftwood. And that was it. How many people could say that Sinatra and Don Rickles got them laid? That's incredible. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't know if Don got me laid. I, that was that was a different crowd. Those women were eight hundred years old, so that was like Jurassic Park, you know. What I'm saying? Uh, yeah, but Frank, Frank, man, that was the only time I was ever really nervous. 
when I first met Frank Sinatra. And I've been around everybody. I mean, I've been around everybody because, you know, it was Sly and myself. And a guy goes, uh, you want to meet uh, Frank? I go, yeah. And I was there with John Stamos. And I went, oh, my God. I mean, I'd seen his face my whole life, the blue eyes, you know. And I walk up, he goes, uh, boss, this is Frank Stallone. How you doing, son? I go, I go, Mr. Sinatra, you mind if I get a picture? He goes, no problem, my boy. And I got that picture right here. I'll show you. Hold on. That's it. Oh, wow. Bring it a little closer. Oh, wow. And that's the ticket. And that's the chairman of the board, man. That was a good life, Frank Stallone. Well, that was, you know, I I mean, listen, my whole life is basically, you know, as you see the documentary, it's very simple. It's Sinatra, Elvis, and the Beatles, bingo, and everything else in between. You know, I mean, my singing and everything, it, it was all like just a gift from God. It really is, man. I mean, seriously, you know, athletes that are like, I'm not putting myself in that league like, you know, Michael Jordan, but I'm just saying people like that, it's just they're born to do it. You know, it's just you can't really teach them to do it, you know. Frank, yeah. we got to get you out of here, man. I, I'm telling and, you, I would love to just end up at a bar with you and drink for five hours and hear all these stories. You're <laughs> fucking awesome, man. Well, I'm your huckleberry on that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Don't forget to watch Stallone, Frank, that is. Guys, have a wonderful New Year's, and thank you so much for having me on. And uh, to all everyone out there in the great wasteland, God bless you. All right, folks, that was Frank Stallone. Matt, I think we can agree. We all want to go drinking with Frank. I think that's our next goal in life. What do you say? I would love to go drinking. He must live in New York, so you got to go knocking on his door like you're going to Jay Williams at some point. <laughs> By the way, can we just all acknowledge Frank Sinatra? Talk about the greatest wingman in the history of the planet. Frank had enough women for 10 lifetimes. So I think his goal in life was to hook up all his boys or people he knew. So, man, God, I wish I could have met Frank Sinatra in his prime. <laughs> he didn't even do anything. All he did was say his name on stage. And literally, that was all it took for Frank to be like, all right, peace to the women he was with. And then, you know, he didn't give us too many details on that. But, you know, I think we can all use our imaginations. Matt, one of the things I really loved in this interview was Frank breaking out all the impressions too, from Sly to Travolta to Don Rickles. I'm like, this guy could have been a comedian had he not been a musician. It's such a great storyteller. I mean, people are going to really love this documentary. I know you and I really enjoyed it. So everybody go watch Stallone, Frank that is. It's available on digital and on demand right now. If you guys love this interview with him, you're going to really love the documentary. And if you haven't seen it, I know we talked about this in the interview, but Fred Claus is the biggest slept on Christmas movie, maybe in circulation. So if you haven't seen Fred Claus, it's heartwarming. It's funny. Um, And frankly, you know, no pun intended. I don't know why it's not more popular. So go check out Fred Claus and, you know, text me and tell me that, you know, you think it's as good as I do. Absolute classic. And that actually brings us to our next segment, our next chat. One of the hottest shows on Hulu right now, and something that you and I were kind of talking about in terms of following that prototypical, almost like the office awkward cast, you know, introducing you to a different type of lifestyle model. Hulu's Letter Kenny is back for season nine right now. You and I, Matt, we got to speak with 
three of the biggest stars on the show, K. Trevor Wilson, Michelle Milet, and Nathan Dales, as well as the, the director, Jacob Tierney. Fascinating path for this show because it started as a YouTube sketch from the creator and main star, Jared Kiso. Him and Jacob Tierney were able to adapt it because it developed this cult following, became this enormous talked about thing in Canada. And now it's this hit show for Hulu. Pretty amazing. Yeah, it, it really is. And it's amazing to see like the evolution of these comedies. Like it's no longer a 30 minute comedy where it's like you see like Shit's Creek. They're all like 21 minutes to 23 minutes tops. And I think Letter Kinney has followed that model and that's why it's been so successful i think the big bang theory was like the longest running sitcom uh ever before it like stopped i believe that's the case and now letter kenny is on its ninth season and it all started from a little youtube show of a bunch of ex-hockey players just like kind of dicking around with themselves so you know dream big kids yeah and one of the things i love is you know matt that i've hosted stuff for the nhl so us being able to get into a couple of these cast members being NHL fans, the experiences that they've had. Like I, when K. Trevor Wilson was talking about his experience with the Toronto Maple Leafs, as someone who's worked with the NHL very closely, it really could close to home. And the amazing part is, even though this takes place in a small Canadian town, we all can relate to the characters in this show. We all have those characters in some form or fashion, whether you're a kid from Boston like yourself, or I'm a kid from Philadelphia. We all have these characters in our lives, and it feels like this show is just going to keep going. So this cast, they've all got jobs for the foreseeable future, and that's pretty cool. Except their friends who call them and ask them for roles in it, and then yeah, they're not as lucky that way. Yeah, I think people are going to really enjoy that story and also in, in, enjoy the, the fans recognizing them at events story. I, I think people are going to really enjoy this interview. So, folks, here is the cast of Letterkenny. Right. We are shaking it up here on The Endless Hustle today as we invite on some of the cast of the very funny comedy series, Letter Kinney on Hulu Now. They just launched their ninth season. Nathan Dales, who plays Daryl, Michelle Millette, Katie, Jacob Tierney, Pastor Glenn, Kate Trevor Wilson, Squirrely Dan. Thanks for making the time, guys. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. So we're associated with Bro Bible in the States and there's a large contingency of our audience who's really obsessed with you guys. So I have a couple co-workers who love the show. I just started it yesterday and I was planning on just watching one just to kind of get familiar with it. I banged out back to back to back. I stopped after the fart book, which was an incredible episode if that that should have won an academy award if it doesn't um but i think one of the awards for canadian television i i think will win one <laughs> yeah the, my, my my girlfriend was in the other room and like all she kept hearing was were these farts and she comes in and she's like i thought you were doing work i'm like i'm researching babe i had like my glasses on but uh i guess the first question i gotta ask is you know i don't want to give any industry secrets away here but are those are those real cigarettes Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, they certainly are. Yeah, I guess this was specifically for Nathan, Kate, Trevor, and Michelle, who's, you know, always seems to be puffing the devil's lettuce. Um, actually, I'm the only exception. So yeah. I, I am. Um, and we, <laughs> Jacob, I can see your face right now because I was so bad at smoking the cigarettes that doesn't, they've let me not smoke these cloved cigarettes as much anymore in the later seasons. And Katie's a bit more of a weed smoker. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah the clo- I was I was smoking close because I don't smoke in my the real close life. cigarettes are especially disgusting. They're well. disgusting. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say that's even more of a, a yeah. burden. I feel like. Yeah. Well, that's great because it's all one of my pet peeves is like watching these shows and like someone has a cup of coffee and there's nothing in it. So like <laughs> the fact that you know you guys are at least going halfway there, it's it's you know. Well, they're going all oh, no, the way there. I'm just, I'm just there. not. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I respect you guys more now. <laughs> One of the things I love most about this show is your tie-in with hockey. Hockey is pretty much religion in Canada. And Nathan, I want to kind of direct this to you because I know you're a massive Calgary Flames fan. So you've got to talk to me all about being a Flames fan. Um, well, okay. So I grew up in Calgary. And so, uh, my, my like earliest memories of the flames are going to games with my dad and, um, being really, really young and, uh, getting to enjoy, <clears throat> getting to enjoy frosty chocolate malts, uh, maybe like three of them during a game, which I should have probably had like a scoop of one of them. And so he would, uh, feed me treats, uh, that were very delicious. And we could have some great, like one-on-one time at hockey games. I used to go with my mom as well, but more so with my dad, because he's more of a hockey fan, but, uh, that's sort of where my love of the Calgary Flames came up and um, it hasn't stopped. I, I, I'm, uh, you know, for better or for worse. And uh, I just love them. I, I think they're fantastic. So I love the Flames. Yeah. I always love talking to, because I also host a show for the NHL. So I always love anytime there's a hockey connection, whether it's Brian Reynolds or Joshua Jackson, anytime you talk to Canadian actors and they're in LA or wherever they are, they still have their obsession with their hometown team. Are you still obsessed? Yeah, definitely still obsessed. Yeah, um, the Flames have been really, really nice um, throughout uh, the whole Letterkenny process and stuff like that. They uh, are super nice and send me jerseys and hats and uh, sweaters and stuff like that. And um, I get to go on. Uh, they I did a podcast with them uh, last week, and and they're just great. They're really nice people. They uh, they they allow me to have tickets when I come to Calgary, and then. Uh, do some interviews that get put up on the jumbotron of all things during the game. And so that's like, that's kind of a dream come true because it's like, you know, I started doing that, started seeing those games when I was about three years old and uh, for then to get that to come full circle, moving away from Calgary and then coming back and seeing myself on that big, my big dumb face on the jumbotron is just like, it's, it's so cool. I I, I really love it. And so uh, yeah, the, the love for them and the game has never, never waned. It's uh, it's, it's, it's gotten stronger. It has gotten very much stronger for sure. One thing I love about the show is like the pace of it. Cause there's not too much that happens in this rural town, but I find myself rewinding because like the jokes come at such a high clip. I remember one of them, Wayne was like, does a duck with a boner drag weeds? And I was like, if I, if I just kept watching, I would have missed that. The script seems to me to be so tight with like no fat around it. So I got to imagine that there's no real improv. It's not a mechanism that you guys use. Is that correct? Oh, no, we change on the fly all the time. Oh. I cannot count the number of times we've come in uh, for a shoot day. And when we're in hair and makeup, Kisa will walk in and be like, I've rewritten the whole opening to the scene, so let's run it over right now. And we'll just jam it out. And uh, the, uh, the writing is, I mean, rock-solid writing. But there's also been so much freedom to play. And, and over the nine seasons, we've become so familiar with the characters that we play that um, it's really like when we get into the produce stand, it is this clockwork and, and whether we're sticking tight to the script or going completely off of it, we just, uh, we know the characters so well and know each other so well, we can just rapid fire out so much 
nonsense <laughs> in such a fast. Is night. that something that's progressed over the nine seasons or is that kind of stayed steady with the script? I mean, that definitely progressed. Uh, I mean, uh, the show did come together like very well in the beginning. It was one of those things where it was uh, just like the right group of people to do it. And we all clicked really fast. But uh, in the first season, we was a lot of feeling it out and, and figuring it out. And, and uh, But by the end of the first season, I think we had a pretty solid grasp on what we were doing. And then every year after that, it's gotten better and tighter, and at least in my opinion. Nathan had mentioned earlier about having his face on the Jumbotron. And anytime you have a hit show, you get to do really cool stuff. What have been some of the cool experiences for each of you that because of the popularity of the show, you've been able to experience? Nathan and I hosted a show for the uh, Allied Forces. Uh, we hosted a show a couple of years ago for about 5,000 Canadian, U.S., British, Australian, New Zealand troops. Uh, and that was absolutely nuts. Like just... Uh, they, they were just off of a three-month training mission, and the two of us got brought in uh, to host this show. And, uh, like, these guys went crazy. We had to have, like, officers escorting us uh, because we were just getting swamped by soldiers. And that was, uh, that was really awesome that these guys had all gotten to know us overseas. Uh, Letter Kenny was part of the homesickness package sent to the soldier stationed abroad, so they'd end up tape trading with other soldiers and we had this whole audience of, uh, of allied troops. That was like, for me, that was one of like the most nuts experiences we've gotten. There's been so many like lovely little moments with even just as far as getting kind of recognized by a fan who just really loves the show and really wants to talk to you. And I've only ever had incredibly positive experiences with our fans. They're like really lovely people and they're so committed and they, and they, they're really friendly and it's just all of those little moments have been really, really sweet. And then also I think for me, the tour um, that like going on tour, I went with the, the guys for the first time we did like a mini us tour and that was really special. So we did Chicago, New York and Minneapolis. And it was kind of like a test run to see if people um, in the States would want to come and see the show. Cause the guys had done Canadian tours before that were really successful. And that was like, nutty to me just again like you you know the internet you get to see people from all over the world but then it's so different to go to another country even though it's the states and we're all pretty close but yeah just to see like how much it's translated down there and meet these people in person and hear their stories and blah 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 like it was really that's been pretty that was very surreal especially playing New York we were on Broadway it was like what's happening yeah that was very cool <laughs> One of my favorite comedy series, and Pastor Glenn, you have a strong Mr. G vibe, was Summer Heights High. And when it came out, it was praised as kind of this masterclass in character comedy. But when it got kind of too mainstream and fran the franchise expanded, Netflix, you know, dropped it permanently after the outcry. Is there any fear that you guys could fall into this weird paradox where you're a victim of your own success? No. <laughs> With bring it on bring it on <laughs> you know we're we're kind of nine seasons in it's been a slow burn for us i don't really think that anything happened too fast for the show to deal with and uh we're we continue to keep doing what we're doing you know and if people seem to still like it so i, I don't really think I, I don't really think that we're in that kind of market but um but jared will appreciate the reference to summer heights high who loves that show Speaking of Jared, we know Jared played hockey, 
wanted to be an NHL player. Nathan, we know you're a Flames fan. For the rest of you, did being part of the show make you a hockey fan? Were you a hockey fan? And how has it changed your perception of the sport? I've always been a hockey fan. I've got my Leafs pillow right here propping up my back. Uh, but uh, but I never really played. Uh, I wasn't much of an athlete uh, when I was a kid. I was definitely an artist. So uh, it's my first time really hanging around uh, hockey players en masse. And uh, so I, I've learned a lot more terminology that I did not know as a, as a fan of the game. And uh, definitely it's opened doors and experiences. I remember uh, after season one, Kiso and I got invited by the Bell execs to, uh, to a Maple Leafs game. And, and we were in the, the Bell box and the two of us were flipping out for a dart in between periods. And uh, as I was walking through the hallway, I saw this guy I recognized and uh, coming towards me. And I was trying to figure out where I knew him from. And when he got uh, right up close to me, I realized it was, coach Babcock and I was blocking his way into the dressing room uh so so I apologized and swiftly moved out of his way but I definitely hadn't been uh had an opportunity to block the Leafs coach from entering the dressing room do you get recognized at a game so when you're at a Leafs game do you and Kiso are people like it's a letter Kenny guys yeah now I mean the first season there was a little bit of uh anonymity but definitely now whenever we go uh, anywhere, uh, especially if we're traveling in a group, we're, we're getting spot and we're getting we're getting spotted and we're getting talked to. Uh, actually, I remember Michelle and I got recognized at a Leafs game together. Uh, we said a lady walked by and was like, "I am so excited to see the two of you sitting together." And then scurried off. Yeah, I think people <laughs> thought that we were dating. We were like at this game on a date together. <laughs> oh, he's way out of your league. I know. I was flattered. I was like stoked. It was dope. <laughs> Basically, any of it, we all get recognized if we're with K Trev. Yes, exactly. Yeah, he's got the look. He's definitely got the look. K Trev, you were original. You were the original O'Doyle from Billy Madison and Goosebumps, right? I was not in. I, I worked with one of the O'Doyles in Goosebumps. I was not the original O'Doyle. No, you weren't. But you were. You had my, that. My, light. my my first job in acting was playing a bully in. Uh, I was cut out of. Uh, the Haunted Mask Part 2. You can see my name in the credits, and that's it. But, uh, yeah, one of the O'Doyle brothers played one of my bully cohorts. Uh, actually, we, we worked together twice. We were also in... We also played bullies in uh, the Loretta Claiborne story, where we pushed around uh, Olympic sprinter Loretta Claiborne, or at least Kim Elise, who was playing <laughs> Olympic sprinter. So you were cut out of the movie there? I, I was in the movie. Oh, okay. I was cut out of the TV show. Uh, it, was, it ran long, or at least that's what they politely told. There are just so many one-liners out there. Do you guys have a favorite one throughout the show? We'll start with you, Jacob. No. No. <laughs> that's uh, um, one-liners. No, I have like I have sequences and scenes that I love. I don't know about one-liners. I mean, I I love <clears throat> I love the Uncle Eddie's wedding scene. That's one of my favorites uh, that uh, that we've done. I love the Roberta Bondar stuff about masturbating in space. Um, there's a lot of great, there's a lot of great bits of the show, but in terms of one-liners, I tend to laugh the most when like Gail says no, you know, like little things like that'll make me laugh more than, more than jokes because I've read them too many times. Nathan? Yeah, it's sort of hard to uh, pick out <clears throat> just one line throughout um, so much, uh, 
so much reading and so much dialogue and so many times on set and stuff like that. Um, I really love just give your balls a tug. That's that's always been kind of a favorite of mine because it can be used in so many different ways. It can be used as an insult. It can be used as like a friend to friend, like, come on, just uh, give your head a shake a little bit, but give your balls a tug. You can also add tit fucker on the end of that one too. Like give your balls a tug, you tit fucker, which is kind of nice. Um, so I like those ones, but yeah, definitely give your balls a tug. There's um, a fucking pardon me, there is a rainbow of things that it can mean or it can be insinuated that you're meaning. You can say it to a friend, an enemy, whatever. Yeah, I kind of feel the same as Jacob. It's like scenes I love or moments I love. I find basically anything the coach does. Uh, you know what? No, my favorite line is the coach. It's not a line. It's just the coach doing his like little creepy laugh. It happens a bit later on in our seasons. And that just like, it, it gets me every time it's so creepy and i love it i think for me it's more like uh yeah sequences and scenes that we've shot as opposed to lines like uh um sushis and sashimis scene when we shot that in the fake ice uh hut that I was told like, it was fake it was fake, <laughs> it was <all> fake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we were not actually uh in a hut out on the lake. sorry no! Um, when I watched season nine, I, I completely remembered <laughs> how hard of a time we had getting through the whistle scene. Uh, like it is really hard to whistle while laughing. And just trying to build up to the whistle, we would break so many times in that scene. Just the, And then that was it. We just start giggling. And that was the tough sequence to get through. And there's just a, a lot of bits where we just laughed laugh our asses off to ourselves if you watch our bloopers it's mostly us just laughing i'll throw in mine it was in the second episode there it was alexander Dwayne, i believe he said i fucked your girl more than you've had a hot meal i remember feeling like insulted that <laughs> i was just like that is a zinger oh spencer spencer maybe is the uh her boyfriend <laughs> yeah. i love michelle's face as you <laughs> drop that line she's like we said that wow <laughs> You guys have already gone nine seasons, an animated spinoff. Is there any internal sense of like stopping while you're at the top and let the work speak for itself? You know, the Shits Creek just won 100 awards and they stopped after six seasons. Obviously, there's merits to both, but where do you guys stand on that? Is this, are we at the top? Is this, it? Is this what it looks like? Yeah, I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> I was told it would you're be talking to different. us. You're there. You're there. <laughs> I mean, come on. Nine seasons? You guys are like at the general hospital of comedy at this point. <laughs> oh, that's it. I don't even know how to do that. Um, we're, about, we're about to go back to work in the spring. We're going to shoot two more seasons. Um, I think that we all kind of agreed the show can go on for as long as we all feel like doing it. Um, we're not very plot oriented or story oriented. So I think that they're, you know, like a classic sitcom. We can just kind of keep doing it for as long as we all enjoy it. Um, so no, I don't think there's a sense of us uh, wanting to, to, to make an early exit. Not yet. So Kiso grew up wanting to be an NHL player. Now you've had all these, all this success with Letterkenny. If he were here on the Zoom with us, do you think he would rather have had a successful NHL career or the success you guys have enjoyed with Letterkenny? What would your bet be? This, Letterkenny. Yeah. This, Letterkenny. He's, he's, he's too old he loves that. hockey, but obviously, but like he, he's such a, he's such a funny, like comedy. Like this is so important to him. And it's so, I, I mean, I find it so, uh, it's, yeah, he's, he's obsessed with Letterkenny, I would, I would say. And he's so good at it. <laughs> he's so good. He's so funny.
It's amazing how much better looking he is in real life as opposed to the show. Like just what a haircut can do. He's got like the, you know, that like bald right here. And like I've seen the interviews and he's great looking. <laughs> yeah, he's got that. It's not right that he's that handsome and that funny. It's, yeah. Him, uh, him. I hope to God he thanks whatever demon gave him this combination of beauty. With, Does he have any deficiencies? Does he have like BO or something? There's got to be something. Uh, he smells good. He smells great. I don't think he's good looking, so I don't like <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys have any hand in making the beer? How did the whole beer thing happen? We did, we did not. None of us are involved. I picked all the barley. No, none of it. Uh, yeah. No, we, we, there was a time. Did we end up making the whiskey? I remember tasting a bunch of whiskeys. No, they ended up not making a whiskey. Something about they lied about the type of whiskey it was. Oh. That whiskey tasting was just for Some fun, I'm thing. convinced. It was just a thing to do in the afternoon. Yeah, I don't think that was for, a, they said it was for a real thing, but I think that was just for fun, which I'm okay with. I'm totally cool with that, yeah. Let's do it again. Americans have this caricature of Canadians that like maple syrup runs through their veins. Can you guys confirm or deny this? Because if I have maple syrup in the morning, my day is, is done. So like maple syrup from like a sugar shack. So Jacob, maybe you can field this one. Sure, as a type one diabetic, I'd love to talk about all the maple syrup coursing <laughs> through my veins. Um, I, no, I was, it traumatized me as a child to have to go to those uh, sugar sugaring off, we called it. And I hated the taste of maple syrup and I never wanted to eat it. God bless Canada, but no thank you. You can keep your maple syrup. And I say that from Quebec, from the largest maple syrup producing place in the world. Bonjour. Is there any dissenting opinions within the group there? I, I, mean, like, I, I love, love it. Maple syrup. I love it. Yeah, me and Kajab, I love it. I put it in my coffee sometimes, which I feel like is so, Canadian. I know. Uh, I think that's like maybe the most Canadian thing about me, about me. <laughs> yeah. I'm ready to put it on massive maple syrup theft in Canada. Yeah, I've, I read about that. People stole millions of dollars worth of maple syrup, and that just isn't right. They should have. By the way, I'm back. I'm trying to figure out. I always love with these zooms. You can kind of tell a lot about the talent with what's behind them. With K. Trev, there's that painting. You showed us your maple leaves pillow, but what's that painting right behind you? Oh, it's a it's a reprint of the first issue of Captain America. So that's Captain America punching out Hitler above my shoulder. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, I'm a big comic book geek. I also have the first appearance of uh, Wolverine reprinted on the wall. <laughs> Did you guys know how much of a comic book nut he is? Yes. 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 Nerd. <laughs> we know. <laughs> <laughs> We've traveled on a bus together. They know. We know. Yeah. <laughs> I get a question for you guys. I'd have to imagine that given kind of the nature of the show representing a certain upbringing, there must be a lot of old acquaintances who heckle you to get on the show. How often does it, that happen to each of you? How often do you consider it? And how do you tell them no? <laughs> That's a good it's one. super easy. I'm just like, absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty straightforward. It's just a no. Yeah. Not going to happen. Right. I don't care how long I've known you for. It's not going to happen. We get it, I, I always tell it's out of my pay grade. We get, it, we get suggested. People seem to think it, it's normal to suggest themselves being on the show, like on Twitter or Instagram and stuff. Being like, you should really cast me because I look kind of like K-Trev. Well, I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Sure, yeah, that's what we need. Someone that happens a lot, yeah. 
someone who we already have on the show. Definitely, we'd love somebody that looks just like you. Fantastic. I discount Katrev. Yeah, that's no, gonna experience. Perfect. Sign up right here. Let's go. Right my here. favorite are the people who are like, my cousin is a real life degen from up country. You should put him on your show. And it's like, no, no, that's not how this works. We don't want that. Our degens are played by very nice professional actors. <laughs> With that said, you know, I'm free and you guys don't have to pay me. Just in maple syrup, I'll be oh, here. I'm so, like oh, I'm so sorry. You got to end pitch. the Zoom. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, Matt, Matt, actually, you're breaking up. Matt, you're breaking up. I'm going to tell you. Exactly. We had our pitch ready. We were I'll ready. Find you guys on Twitter. it up right now. <laughs> no, you know what, Arthur? You can be on. Matt, I'm sorry. That's going to be a hard no. But Arthur, the, the be creepy, on. I'm like oh, the man. creepy bank robber guy. <laughs> <laughs> we got to let you go. But thank you for joining us. It Thanks, was guys. Much appreciated. Nathan Dales, Michelle Mollet, Tierney, K. Trevor Wilson, on Hulu in America. Nine seasons. Very funny show. Check it out. All right, folks, that is the cast of Letterkenny. Make sure to check out season nine on Hulu. Matt, you and I could both agree, and we talked about this after chatting with them. This is a cast that not only performs well together on screen, but it really seems like these guys are friends off screen, and it came through in this conversation. Yeah, I'm kind of a snob when it comes to comedies. I'm pretty hard on um, all the shows and the new Netflix shows. It takes a lot to get me to laugh. But, you know, I think what you said is like they all seem to genuinely click together. All the characters are kind of like a puzzle piece to this bigger narrative. And uh, I think that's what makes it so successful. And I've only watched at this point three episodes, but I might continue. You know, if I can hijack the TV from my fiance, I think I might continue that uh that plight that's a big if matt let's be honest you're not hijacking anything from me we all know who wears the pants in the family there matt dude i'm on season i think i'm on season nine of 90 day fiance which is also like fred claus a very slept on show so check out (laughs) 90 day fiance on tlc that might be our next uh our next series that we launch together the (laughs) the after show for 90 day fiance dude i'm down i think there's a there's a niche for that dude screw this endless hustle thing yeah, who wants to talk to professional and legendary iconic athletes? Like, let's talk about the couples that are been dating for 90 days and want to get married. That's so much more interesting. Obviously kidding, True. folks. We're going to be around for a long time for you. All right, I think that's it for Tuesday. We'll be back with a brand new episode on Thursday featuring Paige Van Sant talking all about joining the Bare Knuckle Fighting Championship. Uh, I believe this is on the cusp of blowing up and we'll see how she performs in her debut fight. Yeah, this is a really good one, Matt. I think you and I both really enjoy talking with Paige and what's fascinating about Paige and what people are going to really hear in, in this conversation with her is outside of being one of the biggest stars in MMA, and one of the leading females that helped build that end of the sport. She's done just an incredible job of building her brand outside of the octagon and outside of the ring. We really dive into that. The fetishes that fans have for her, which I can't wait for people to hear about this one, her relationship with her husband. I mean, there's just a lot of great stuff. People are going to really enjoy this chat. I can't wait to, to release this one in a few days. That's the truth, Arthur. And as always... Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Endless Hustle Pod and on Twitter at Endless Double Underscore Hustle. You can follow my personal account at Mr. Cohan, 
K-E-O-H-A-N on Instagram and on Twitter. I'm at It's Me, Arthur Cade on Instagram, at Arthur Cade on Twitter. Follow me, like me, talk with me. I'm always around. We'll see you guys on Thursday. Peace.